Nice bands, man. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and how do I know you? From this house. Yeah, we live together. It's weird, like because when you tell people you live with a guy who's six years old from the UK, <laughs> they they kind of don't trust you, <laughs> and they don't like that. But anyways, we started talking when I first uh, got to Australia, and I just thought that you had a real interesting and a unique life. Like when you told me about your upbringing, it's not something that. As a kid in India, I've, I've never seen that, never heard of that. So, yeah, let's start with that, man. Okay, oh, cool. And I, and I do want to say, look, I know that you're doing this series on uh, people that you find interesting. So, it's, yeah. it's, and it's, I, I understand the context of it being, a, in a way, from ordinary life and, and the, the beauty of, I guess, in comparison, I'm thinking of, established celebrities that yeah. we know about and they're very clear and but yet you're I would imagine you're highlighting the fact that there's normal people have really pretty interesting yeah which I find it's a really that's it makes it very you don't have to sell venues stadiums to be interesting right like yeah. normal people are if you get into it if you get past all the small talk if you really want to know someone, and they start telling you, you'd be pretty amazed what some people have went through. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a tremendous uh, Give me a principle for doing it's just sunstroke. <laughs> <It's in my laughs> now you're the rock star. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, look, I do find a wonderful premise for the recording and everything from that from that mm. point of view, and uh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look. look, look Look, so, yeah, if I may share, it was... You were born in the UK, right? Yeah, that's right, in... Uh, Which year? Uh, 62, so that's coming into the 60th year this year. <laughs> Almost, <which> is, yeah. <laughs> going into ancient history. Now, so. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess when I think of that time, it was, um, you know, the Beatles were just coming out, and my favourite band of all being them. And, Can't uh, hear the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, just just sort of understanding the revolution that was going on in England, and yet it was still such a long time ago in terms of, uh, which was going to lead into a bit of my upbringing, but the fact that divorce and such things were, were taboo subjects and yes. frowned upon, and the background for my mum and dad is that my dad was... A married man, but he lived separately from his wife and two children. So they're they're probably even fifteen years older than me. So I've got. Oh, so that was your you like it's a second marriage kind of with your mom. Yeah, it would have been a second marriage, but mum and dad didn't get married. But <laughs> 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 so, but it was that was because the laws at that time were yeah, okay. very archaic. You couldn't get marriage very uh, sorry you couldn't get divorced very easily and in this case my dad's wife was not willing to grant that ah. so that pretty much made it impossible in 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 62 the societal pressure as well it was enormous pressure you know it was a taboo you know to be yes um and so i was born out of wedlock and that meant also with my mum's employment, she wasn't given. The so let's tell people what your mum did because they oh, have yeah, they okay. have to know. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> we we've got the the opportunity now to share about my beautiful mum and she, yes, she was a bona fide genius. She worked as a mechanical design engineer and. She was, at, at that time, the only woman working in that field. And she also, you know, was working on major projects. Her Even her early history was working 
in the Second World War as a code breaker, so breaking mm. the German... The Enigma thing. Like the movie that... It is, is it close to the movie? It's, the Benedict Cumberbatch thing? It's very close, very similar. The only difference being that Mum worked at the Admiralty, mm. so there was more than one location, and oh, that okay. was uh, in the south of England. Uh, so, same setup core of very intelligent, bright-thinking people. She was the only woman in her group, and similar to the Bletchley, yeah, where that, that had... Um, so just different location, but did the same thing? Did the same thing, oh, okay. and um, there, there was... I got to meet a lot of the people of that time, because Mum, uh, when I was growing up, we... Going into the next part of the story is my mum moved to Australia when I was four, obviously, clearly, because the... Um, when you were four? Yeah. And she had you when she was very, like, she had you late in her life. That's right, she was 38. Yeah. She had me, yeah, which at that time was very uncommon as well. Yeah. So, out of wedlock... Um, what is wedlock? Well, wedlock is when you're married. Oh, okay. So we, mum and dad, were never married. They didn't live together. They lived uh, wasn't so far as the crow flight, but it was still a further away. You know. And your dad was not the kind of guy who didn't want to be in your life. He wanted to be in your life. It was just like that. Your mom's work was so. It it was the combination of the law. Oh yeah. That was the that was the key piece. Um, now, also, just, you know, both my beloved mum and dad have passed away, so it's probably easier to talk about these things now, but I wasn't a planned child, a planned infant to have for them, so it would have, it was clear when I met my dad, I didn't meet my dad till I was 50, as yeah. a, as, and spoke to him as an adult, I'd met him. Um, as a child, obviously, but I, yeah. I, I, I didn't have him in my life until I went back to England to talk to him specifically. And uh, I had two conversations which were over two separate trips, three years apart. Yeah. So when I was 50, um, he, he told... Actually, sorry, it was 47 and 50. Oh, okay. Yeah, first one was at 47, <coughs> and then I came back. Uh, just before I turned 50 and also spoke to him and he explained his life very... Uh, he explained his life and also explained that he really wanted... It, it was the circumstances and the, that, that he couldn't be with us. He also wanted to come to Australia. Oh. He would have left everything. He had a thriving business. Um, he would have left all of that. But, uh, Were you able to understand where he was coming from? From that yeah. time, absolutely, yeah. because because that was the first time I ever heard his. I, my mum didn't speak about him anyway. It was I, he was an unknown to me. So when he explained, it was a brilliant, the best news of all to know that he really <laughs> wanted to be with mum yeah. and I, and um, he loved mum and I. And he would have travelled to Australia, which was so remote at that time, from England. And uh, so you moved to Australia when you were four. Yeah. Permanently. Yeah, I say permanently, mm -hmm. but we we travelled. We we travelled. I don't know that I ever had a sense that it was permanent, because every three or four years we travelled back to England, and uh, lived returned to live in England oh. and so I would think I was back in England and then after a year we'd come back to Australia and obviously the second or third time that happened I um, started to get the gist that this wasn't yeah you know we weren't moving back to stay there we were just having a time there and you know I loved the England so dearly um, and I, I, I suppose I can say I'm grateful that I had both upbringings, but it, it, I, in the end, when I was 18, I, had, I chose to stay 
in Australia. I mean, I, I made that choice myself. Obviously, I was older than what my mum could do with me as a child. That I could make my own choice by that stage. Uh, yeah, so you came to Australia. And was your mum, how old were you when, like, how long were your mom, were yours, uh, was your mum with you? Look, I, I, the way it turned out with my mum, I mean, I always loved mum, but, I, but I, it was very clear at 17, she was having difficulty to parent me. And I, I, to be honest, that was obviously the case all along. Um, she wasn't she, the most, she wasn't the typical mother. No, she was a very strong career woman, but who was exceptional as a yeah. career woman beyond her times, you know, a, a pioneer. Uh, but f parenting wasn't a strong, a, a strong point, and she <laughs> really had almost, she could provide. So that was obviously tremendous, and she was very good at that, and yeah. wealthy, meaning I lived in good homes and you know those things I'm always grateful for um, parenting was but without the love are those things as beautiful no they're not they're, I mean you've got to I, I had to I mean I on the inside I knew that um, yeah. and that's what prompted well I said I didn't leave my mum. My mum left me. <laughs> so oh, okay. my mum left me at seventeen and just let, took me to England, which I thought was another one of these trips. short, short <laughs> trips. And she she took off though after a couple of weeks and left me with. Uh, How did you sister. deal with that at seventeen? Like that would be heartbreaking emotionally, and you just lose all your self-esteem. You'll be like my mother doesn't love me. It, it was it was crushing. It was it, it the the one piece in this that I had a blessing with, and obviously I needed it. Otherwise, I possibly you know who knows what would happen. But I, yeah. I did have a a love for God, which wasn't taught to me. It wasn't brought up in schooling like that. Uh, Mum wasn't speaking of it. It wasn't anything in. But I had a searching from a young age, so. Now that that still devastated me when my mum uh, left me, um, and the family too. Uh, the family in England also didn't care for me. So they did what they did do. So they give them what uh, credit for what they did do. One of my cousins found me a job in the hospital where I worked, where he worked, and he found me. A boarding house of one of their friends uh, for, to to stay in, but unfortunately, a bit like the situation with my mum, there wasn't more than that offered. There was. It was just stuff. Was it wasn't. Stuff, yeah. It wasn't like what you wanted. It wasn't. The connection. Yeah. And, her, and in fact, even in that house where I stayed, a crazy thing happened where I was falsely accused. I was staying in the house. I'd never left the house had borrowed a, a book from the, in England you have communal books, bookshelves, libraries if you like, and everyone's free to read from them. And I had one of those in my room because I was enjoying the book and I was asked to change rooms and the woman came in and said, hey, you've got my book, you've got to leave straight away. And I, I was like... <laughs> I was so my mum left me. <laughs> yeah, my family left me. Who gives a about a book? Take the book. <laughs> yeah. You think I steal a book? <laughs> that, that, that was the final straw for me. That one. So what did you like? You were in England. You were seventeen. Did you come to Australia by yourself? I tried to get there by myself, and I went actually to the local, the nearest, it wasn't the local, it was actually in the next country, <laughs> I was in <laughs> the nearest consulate to where I was staying was in Edinburgh in Scotland and I took um, a train trip there and discovered there was nothing I could do because I was under 18. Yes, yeah. 
and that's another that was like another yeah dagger uh, death nail basically <laughs> it was because there was part of me that was dying in that time that was really how do you cope with that what did it happen like over a span of 10 years or did it happen like quickly like six months one year this, this it all happened until i got to 18 and then i let um at that stage i i sent a a letter of hope really i mean i had no idea what uh what whether this letter would get there or if there was anyone to receive the letter, but I sent a letter to my old address in Australia, and my mum was actually there. She'd gone back to Australia, but she hadn't communicated. At all? I, I, it was a year, I hadn't she hadn't communicated. For one year? For one, one whole year, and not, there was no communication of any... When you hear it, it's like one year, but if you think for a 17-year-old, one year is almost a lifetime because you've only been alive 17 years and your mum is <laughs> you don't have perspective and you're like oh the one person i haven't seen him seen her in one year and she's still there she that's right it was and the, and she sent a telegram saying ah oh, okay so you so you're wanting basically to come back to australia are you going to come back and she then said oh yeah i'll come over so she did come over but what she was doing was trying to uh, buy a, a house in England and wanted me to to do that. So she was. It's all. Uh, look, um, unfortunately, it's a lot of self-serving nature with mm. my mum. Again, it's not the parenting side. So, but that's was, the thing with people who are career-oriented. They are. They have to be, and it's not something that plays well with the family. But people who see their career, they're like, oh, they did pretty well. And like the biggest rock stars, man, you talk to the children, you're like, he wasn't there for 20 years. Right, and just... Kurt Cobain, the greatest, probably, he died before his child could even, like, walk. Like, he was, the child was like an infant. And he, he and the both, or just Kurt Cobain? Suicide. Yeah, yeah, it shows you how... And from their perspective, from the child's perspective, yeah. which obviously is it, in mine in this case, it's yeah. you, you're left wondering where you actually come into the equation and you realise you, you don't. That's, <laughs> that's, the bit, <laughs> that's the bit where... It hurts. It really I mean, hurts is an understatement. Yeah, yeah, it's like a searing, like a brandy. <laughs> yeah. To, to be honest. And, and there really wasn't much I could do with it in my head because we're talking about that time that was 1970, the town where I lived, the the city had, you know, the highest unemployment. It was a recession. Yeah. Coal, coal mines were closed. The steel industry. <laughs> Which city was, is this? It was just in devastation. There was riots. There was great civil unrest, and there was so much tension. So I I come from Sydney. Still. Summertime. Yeah. Life. Uh, beautiful life so that was part of the the difficulty was the huge contrast yeah just everything changed like anything that could change changed in one second yeah in, in one moment one moment it, it all suddenly went to i was in poverty even in the job which was i was in for three months in was, england yeah even that i was on a very base low income because i was 17 yeah and yeah, yeah. Not expecting people to be making their own way in life at that age. That's why they pay you less because they're like, oh, you have you have parents, so you have a home. We yeah, don't so need to just, pay you. Yeah. Exactly. So when that when none of that was happening, um, and then that job was only for three months anyway, so the rest of the time I was on a pittance of income, and 
just left in isolation and uh, I do remember I had a collection of books with me and cassettes, you know, probably half a dozen of each. And they really summed up the time I was in. The books were Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky <laughs> and The Idiot, also by Dostoevsky. Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka were about him as a cockroach. Um, I also had The Trial by Franz Kafka, which was very much the experience I was living of. He's going through a trial and he doesn't know what why why he's <laughs> yeah. what he's been charged for and that's I will tell you later. <laughs> that's the premise of the whole book. Um I had Hard Times by Charles Dickens. I mean that's just the that's the title of your childhood. <laughs> it it really was, yeah. It was it was and and the the albums of music which were so imprinted in my brain because they were um they were my lifeline as music is for young people. Look, I had, um, uh, what's it called? It's called um, by Iggy and the Stooges, uh, Raw Power, which was songs like it on Search and Destroy, you know, my anger inside was yeah, very pronounced at, at what was going on. Um, Sticky Fingers by Rolling Stones, which was a really landmark album of these. Low by David Bowie, um, Year of the Cat. Yeah, these were more. So music and literature was your. It was my, it was my solace. Was, was my solace, yeah, and I and I pretty much read or played those songs. But were you like? Did you have friends, or were I you like no just contact at all? I was as I was. I know we talked about this COVID time, and it's you know we've all been through it, and yeah. it was tragic. Absolutely tragic, but the isolation I knew then was—I can't imagine because there was no internet then. Yeah, <laughs> I was in a, yeah. a new town. It's true isolation. True isolation, poverty. Not not one friend, not one Jeez, person man. I saw. Not one person. Once that job finished, and I wasn't—it wasn't a a vibrant space for me in the job, so there weren't close connections there. Um, but once that job finished, how'd you survive? I, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> and uh, you have to have a strong spirit. And no, like even you can't know at that time. But like now, you must know that that kid. Like not even you, because sometimes praising yourself seems a bit. You're like that kid at seventeen <laughs> had a great spirit, man. I I I I like the way you say it, and it is more how you can say it. Yeah, it's, it's it's not easy to get that frame of reference to say for yourself. But yes. yeah, you're right. When yeah. I say that, it's been more something in the recent years. I've gone. I mean, this COVID again highlighted it. Yes. Because I was like, I went through that. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. And and I it's... and I. I had a feeling that, um, how will I say it? Once I came through it, now that when I say I came through it, it really, it Don't really lasted another seven years where I was in extreme up and down because it's like I'd been through a war. Yes, and that trauma, I come back to Australia. This Australia, like so-called normal civilian yeah. life, like the feeling was I'd been for a war. I I really had no chance. Like as somebody coming back from a war, you go to a job and you're sort of going, yeah. well, what's this doesn't, what's going on the inside? Yeah, because you are angry, so angry. Furious, yes. <laughs> yeah, furious. And like there's no happiness. Happiness is not even a word that you understand. And you go to an environment where people are generally happy, they don't get you. Which is exactly like a war. You come back from a war, people are like, oh, just eat breakfast. You're like, I want to smash the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got nightmares. And, yeah. I got, I could yeah. and sitting down here at an office job, I would start, you know, shaking at times. Because I literally, I, it was all inside. I mean, my internal, and I didn't even know 
What was that? Yeah. What was going on? Because I wasn't aware of you can't this be. dialogue now that we have about we know about traumas. <clears throat> we got a world where yes. all these things are more discussed. They were barely discussed then. There were maybe some beginnings of it, you know, through the some very early stages of that, but it hadn't reached my ears. I wasn't. Yeah, wasn't not the normal much. people's talk. No, and now we would have people on board. There'd be you, people yeah. say psychology is wonderful that all these things are available, but back then I was just like... On your own. On my own, and I, I, I basically went in and out of 30, 40 jobs in those seven years. I just literally got a job, was in there for three weeks or a month at the most, and then gone, I can't handle it. Yeah. And not understanding anything about the internal. So, just to... So, 17, you got dropped in England. Three months, you were living in, like, bad conditions, like the worst. Then you come back to Australia. Where did you live? Like, with your mom? Uh, only, only for the very briefest of times, because coming back with my mum, because she'd come to England, and then I eventually, you know, made it clear that, no, what I said was true. I wanted to come back to Australia. She then went, okay, you know, reluctantly, I know, but she came back to Australia. And within three months, I mean, this is pretty heavy stuff, but, um, you know, I'd been the whole year in England. So when I, when I came back to Australia, I, w I, I went out and reached out for help. I went to see a couple of psychiatrists. Which is revolutionary at the time. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't... And people didn't volunteer to do those things as well. But I, I worked it out. I went... Because I think the books were your... Like, where you got the knowledge of that. Even, like, an idea of that. Because if you hadn't gone through those books, it'd be... Like, even the word is... Maybe some people don't know the word. Where, like, in England, at that time. Like, psychiatrists. Yeah, right. It wasn't... It wasn't... It was almost like only people who were... Doctors. Pronounced by someone else and was ended up in a crazy jail, crazy, <laughs> crazy house. And I, I was, it was very unlucky, but it was probably very. It was, I mean, it, it was all I can say was unlucky. I went to see the psychiatrist, and then he said, "We'll make another appointment, but I've got to go on holiday." <laughs> and I, I gave up. <laughs> I gave up. I just. I remember I went home and I just. I thought. The, the, the What's home? Yeah. Are you with your mom? Yeah, I was. I was. That was. Mum had bought a apartment in Darling Point, and believe it or not, this is an interesting connection. It was this apartment that was the home, rented home at that time, before that, of. A friend of mine who I am close friends with from school and is still close friends today. School, okay. Yeah, a school friend, yeah. So, so that apartment, he he had moved to a different. He he was, just it's it's just one of those connections. He. It's probably easier to come back to him after. <laughs> it's just a, it's oh, another tangent. But the point was that that apartment, when I got there, when I came back, I just, I took uh, a lot of whatever was in the house of my mum's medication and had bought a couple of flagons or something of wine. And I just basically... Uh, uh, did jump out, out out of the window, believe it or not, 42 foot up, and here I am in one piece, so... God what? You took medications, you drank a lot, then you jumped out? Yeah. 40, 42? 42 feet, and landed on the... Curb? On the tarmac, on my shoulder... And the skull. How old were you? I was just turned 18. So that's me. when you just got back? Yeah. And what? the psychiatrist, when the psychiatrist... There was, there was more to it 
there's more to it because I was also in love. And that person, that all that helps. Yeah, that was <laughs> that, that the love had kept me in hope ah. my year in England. But it also when I realised that that love wasn't reciprocated. I was seventeen, as a teenager yeah. I just been, And everything else as well. I thought, well, who cares now? Yeah, yes, literally. There was, there, I saw no reason. And, and, the, the, the miracle, of course, is that I'm in one piece. Yeah. And, and I was, yeah, I had, a, I had lots of ups and downs. For so, the from then on? I, I, once I came out of hospital, yeah. I w it was about four months I was in hospital there. I was at home for about a month and then I never, left. never lived. Uh, I, I had very little to do with my mum after that time. I did, although incredibly, I went through this huge period of forgiveness what happened was when I reached 26, although I'd had a God search before. Yeah, because like 18 to 26, I think that's your transformative years. And then you took actions, which we'll get into because we have another connection. You are, like you have roots in India. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's when I, was, I met you, I was like, you knew about like yoga, about meditation, about Sai Baba, about like, Kirtans, like people who sing at like pujas and stuff. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? He's English. Shouldn't, shouldn't even know. Yeah, these like these words shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened in those seven years, like in the ups and downs, where did you like find God? Well, the, the key, it's interesting because already at that age, when I left home, the older... I call them peers, but they were they were slightly older. They're all about four or five years older, some three years older. They it, it was a time of great searching at that time, you know, in the West. You know that that had gone on from the sixties and the seventies, and those those people I'm speaking about would have been already now by tw already nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, and they were some of them. One of them in particular had. Uh, already been to India, and he had a lot of books that were the uh, on Buddhism, uh, I Ching, Upanishads. Uh, um, even there was would have been a book in there, or one or two of the Hare Krishna movement, which would have been Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. Um, and there were several. There was even one or two more, and I inherited them when that guy in particular went off and went on on his own pilgrimage. And I, I had those books. I carried those books with me. I had basically a bag and I was moving from house to house so often and job to job. But I carried those books with me for at least the next seven years. And they, I knew there was a power in those books. I didn't necessarily understand them when I read them it wasn't yeah clear knowledge for me at the time but I knew what they were you understood that they're great power absolutely and then, and I knew that was me that was symbolizing a very important part of me by having those books and I remember also reading seeing this was bring the days when I saw a yeah I saw a ah, I saw really cool to remember this. I saw Sai Baba on the TV for the first time and that was 1982. In on Australian TV? On Australian TV. It was on the news and I saw him giving a darshan to, which he, that's so much of his life, he was doing that. Um, but it impacted me and I remember another, t that was huge and also a program around exactly the, around that period it might have been even a week later or so two months you know, within a month or two at the most and it was on Hanuman 
and I was, I was so intrigued, and that was my first. I was. My two friends at that time were called Hanneman, H A N E M A N. <laughs> they were my two closest friends, twin brothers. And I remember just, I was just going, this is, this is me again. But I was also so remote from it in my worldly circumstances. I was living in a, in the craziest circumstances, up and down <laughs> every day, every day, minute. I remember having a motorbike and almost killing yourself so yeah. many times because I'd be riding it breakneck speeds and and you started riding it without getting a license without ever riding it before so that was really smart <laughs> yeah. yeah you know <laughs> that's what i put it in the city but uh, yeah so those and also you're a rock star <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> that's something that we have to touch on you make music how did that start that that started at 20 when i lived in the uh, blue mountains which uh, is a place a, in Sydney. Yeah, Blue Mountains in Sydney. So it was, I met this guy who's a very close friend and very soul-to-soul -soul brother who was already a musician and he knew people in the scene very strongly, well-known bands in the Sydney scene. So they would be coming up to our place and jamming with us and getting very drunk and all that sort of stuff. Did you play instruments before that? No, I... I Picked up the guitar from that being his, in the house. It was uh, Andrew's guitar, and he showed me two or three chords. I was writing songs straight away, and I've recorded some of those songs. So I was writing songs immediately, and jamming with these guys. And I, you know, my musicality wasn't <laughs> high to begin with, but I, <laughs> I remember even being able to play on one yeah. string, and people and guys going. Wow, even one string can sound good, man. We'd never done that, you know. So I was, I was, it was an immediate. Awakening. Immediate, so you knew you were like, okay, there's something's there. Yeah, guitar, singing, songwriting was the key. And before that, the one year I had in England at school, because the other years, I mean, three or four, we still went to school in England, but um, in, as an eight-year-old, I went to a Baptist school. They didn't have any selling of religion, but we sang hymns every morning. And I, that was my first time with the singing, and I really adored that. But there wasn't any continuity. With oh, that. so after, like, eight, you sung in a church? That was it? Uh, well, that school it was. It was at the public school. Oh, yeah, school, so it sorry. It wasn't even that church. Church, I okay. I didn't really have any connection with church, but I, I still knew I was... There was something. There was something with God, you know. It was like, and Jesus, I get it clearly, but it was, it was, it was something bigger. It was like I don't think I could have survived without it. That's, that's, the reality. I mean, I really didn't have parenting. And yeah, that's something I have to ask you about, because like right now I'm 21, and whenever I don't know what to do, I have a family to ask to, like, you know, to take advice. My father's there, my uncle's there, my mum and my aunt. So, like, four people, whatever they tell me, it will lead to different routes. They'll have different advice, but everything is for, the, for, for good. They've all won my good. When you don't have a, anyone in your life like that, how do you operate those years after 18, which are make or break for anyone? Right, you're right, you're right, yeah. I... I was wor I was working on a a very primal level here because I was I was pretty much living at times so much of that time like on this on the street I was even homeless for a lot of that time and it was uh, and I was some shorter periods I was in uh, you know homeless shelters for young people Jeez. and. I was having to read people very quickly, but when I say that, I was making mistakes left, right, and centre. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was. When I say that, I, I was, I was making shocking mistakes. I was picking the wrong people, <laughs> and I was getting really badly treated. Uh, I was, maybe I was learning through experience. That's all I can say. Yeah. And I, I was learning 
that probably through it all that there must be a reason why I'm still here because I was having so many violent situations it was it was uncanny I mean I was um, also I was getting drunk I, I, you know I was getting drunk that goes hand and in hand yeah blind blind drunk and and in fights and then yeah. if, if you saw me as a sober person I'd like if somebody went boo I would run away you know but, ah, okay. but in these blind blackouts I had the no rage would come out at all of any of them but I would wake up sometimes and go and I'd see myself battered and bruised and and go something wasn't good last night and I you know when I was there were times when I wasn't as blacked out and I would be beaten up I mean that was happening and so I was and at that at this time your mom's still on Australia so yeah. how do you deal with not going to her for money like you because she's well, well off yeah I, I think I worked out that she wasn't that wasn't part of her arrangement or connection that she wasn't Jeez, man that's that's just tough yeah I was I was living on Skid Row basically just, yeah and mum had no particular interest thought about me so I I had done the right thing by not connecting yeah. with her and um I mean that's I think you learn by experience as well because yeah not to see I mean I you must have tried when before failing because any kid like <laughs> it's not even a thought that my mum doesn't want me yeah I, I couldn't compute that of course yeah. at that age and it took me this is where the love for god came to greater prominence because then I could start feeling because at 26 I could feel that love for god and I could feel that which was never there before so what happened after 7 years like what was the change well look really what happened was as i explained these these were just a series of hard hard blows yeah. one after the other I, i literally got to the point where i reached the lowest of lows where i said i was picking the wrong people like I, one uh older man who said he would take you know be caring for me he <laughs> just show you the way completely yeah exactly you know he was obviously he was a psychopath now he knew what i needed from how i he drew it out of me what i needed because he heard me talk and say what i needed and he would he just simply if i'd said i needed something else he would have said that's what i can do yeah so he's just said what you needed to hear and then you start to trust him and, and then you sh- show the true colors yeah and it, in these situations you're not you're already vulnerable but also you don't get to there on the first day and do yeah this what happens is they know how to break yes. you down yes and he would do everything from sleep deprivation jeez there was everything under the sun it was horrific and it was eventually you know involved violence and i suddenly dawned on me that my life was in severe danger and as i said this doesn't just come around in one day it's it was over a four and a half month process and he would turn knobs it was called gaslighting that's what that's the word it gaslit me all the way and eventually i was like not not knowing who i was or yeah. everything about me but one night i went there's got to be something I, i hadn't prayed probably since, as as a child i think i remember i can prayed for my kitten cats <laughs> to come back if they ran away and i was that would have been the last time i prayed 
the miracle was as soon as I prayed, there was a, a light and a presence. And if it, clearly <laughs> the stakes were very high. I didn't have much time here. So God wasn't going to waste it. you got to make it quick, man. <laughs> Get this message to this yeah. guy. We don't have a week or a month to slowly build him into this. Yeah. You know? so, so literally that, and that was also connecting me. I looked back and understood to my sense of self as well it was a it was a double it was a it was a relationship with god and it was suddenly the the certainty was and is god and it was also a sense of just trust was i don't know if there were ever any words but spoken but the the clarity was trust everything will be okay in a few days whatever you'll be fine and literally I was, I got out of that situation and ran to a safe house. At 26? Yeah, at, at 26. Actually, yeah, that's right. I was, I might have just been slightly Younger. 25, but it really blossomed after that, my relationship with God. But So what changes did you make in your life after that? I pretty much, well, from that moment, it was always a dialogue. Oh, okay. With God, it was Jesus in, in in primarily, but it was actually still with God. So it was like um, this, and everything about me at that time for probably the next two or three years, if not continuing thereafter, was just aching for God. Every molecule of my being was like. You know, I mean, it makes sense what I'd been through yes. as well, but I just was, give me God. So now I Because was, everything had abandoned you. Yeah, there was only, if it wasn't God, I, I wouldn't want to be here at all. I'm like, <laughs> literally, at that time, and yes. of course I have, now I have a different overview of, of, of life, but that's right, everything, everything, everyone... Um, by that stage, closer friends that I had, those yeah. humans, <laughs> they, they were no longer around. around. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the hunger for God has, of course, not ever changed. And that gives me the uh, strength to also deal with the wounds, which has been what has been part of the healing as I faced the, um, you know, it still took me a long time to yeah. want to look at what was going on inside. Well, because that's... The, the love affair with God was more like, oh, thank God, I'm, everything's fine. Well, of course, it is, and you still got to deal with the stuff inside. It's fine life. now, but what about, like, I, what's under the shed? Yeah, that's right. It looks nice. The house yeah. is great, but underneath there's these monsters, you know. Yeah, you're like, and you don't want to have a look there because it's, oh man, it's so much pain. So much pain. So, so the, 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 what happened for me in that process was the love I was feeling for God and there was a, probably a lot of the time when I first it was more of the adventure. And then I met uh, not only Sai Baba in India, then I could get, get to that first, though, of course, because... So after 26, uh, you just started, your life started getting better? I was searching for God extremely. Yeah, my life had changed already by that stage. I, I, I moved in with a really nice household where there was... Um, if you like the opposite of what I experienced before, there was people who were very spiritually minded, but very loving. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's gone. Okay, he's gone. It's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the thing was, the blessing was, uh, met, in particular, one marvelous guy called Roy, who was an actor. So I got introduced to the acting world, reintroduced, because in my childhood, I was, you know, you know, I had an unusual upbringing, right? But some of my upbringing was with 
other people, not just with my mum. And one of those was a, a, a film director, and he was working with some of the biggest American stars. He was in English, it was all in London, but um, so the, the, the English uh, acting scene, I was invited to parties as a child, and I met a lot of the stars, so I had that input, and I, I met these, but some of them were not very nice people, and others were great, so yeah. you know, again, I saw the whole... Which happens with everyone, like... It's yeah. a field of people. Yeah, right? yeah. Most people are decent, some match energy, some just... Uh, Completely. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be mentioned. I mention any names. Yes. No, but, they were, but, but that, that was... That was really cool as well because I was exposed to lots of things that made it actually in my life. I've met lots of famous people and that's been part of how I've just experienced out of nowhere. I mean, I'm not talking about going to a convention. Or oh. I'm just saying being in a house, uh, you know, in a block of flats and then there's a lead singer from a, a band and I go, hey, how you doing? <laughs> those things, those types of things happen hundreds, hundreds of times for me, so I've met. I think good things happen, happen after, because you were open to them, like you're saying after you find God. I think being open to that good things will happen to you is a big, it's a big thing that people don't realize. They will, oh, good things don't happen to me. Always expect that good things will happen to you. They start to happen, man. Yeah, you got that openness. You it's weird. It's weird how it happens. Like, like you said in COVID, everyone was so down about everything. And then I was in India for like one and a half years. Changed my whole mindset. I changed it. I was like, I'm going to change whatever my mind is right now. I changed it through whatever, like physical exercise, just being with my family, and just changing your mindset. I'm going to work hard. I'm just, just going to control the controllables. That's brilliant. Wow. And when I came here, I met you. And I, then I got the job. And then I met other people that are great. And you're just like, this is not a coincidence. Yes, your energy has changed. Yeah. You're, you're exuding something else. That's why you're getting something else. So 100% true, yeah. There's a switch inside yourself. Yes, and God is always a part of it. Yeah. For me as well. Yeah, brilliant. Wow. Wow. It, it has to be. Because you have to believe there's something bigger than you because I like I'm not that important if it's just no one is we we we're you know we're limited respects you're still in COVID we don't matter so many people passed away life still goes on yeah it really shows our fragility and humility as well in those moments yes yeah that's strange yeah no that's that's so true that that uh now it's interesting the timing of the the new year when you arrived and that yeah, feeling of, yeah, it was very weird. That we're we're moving forward now. Yeah, now it's April and yeah, life couldn't be better. Yeah, 